Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated to the life, memory, and career of the one and only Bobby the Brain Heenan. I vividly recall in the signing of the contract for your title shot at Hulk Hogan in WrestleMania 3. You said you taught Hogan a lot, but you had still one more lesson to give him in the final chapter in that big title match at the Silverdome in Pontiac on the 29th. You want to talk to somebody? You talk to me. He's going to do all his talking in the ring. You talk to me. You want to talk about the final chapter? I'll be glad to talk about the final chapter. The final chapter in the life and history and the career of Hulk Hogan. See, because it's over, Hogan. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. You had three good years. You can't laugh at that. You were lucky. You made some money. You got a cartoon. You got some dolls. You rode good. You had it good. But you know you can't beat this man. Toughest man in the world. Nobody can beat this man. You think with all that blonde hair and a bunch of little hulksters out there and behind you, you ripping that t-shirt off and shaking in your pythons, you think you can beat him, dummy? It can't be done by you, ten guys like you, or a hundred people like you. This is the next heavyweight champion of the world. Get ready to swallow it, Hogan. It's all over. Andre, what about that, that final lesson? You don't understand, do Wait you, dummy? I do the I'll talking. I'll conduct these interviews here if you don't mind. Oh, maybe I will conduct them. How do you like that? Oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. See, so you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling.
out now. Oh, David. Look at that. Something I never thought I would see. Good early white boy. Slammed into the pool by Dr. Tom Pritchard. Pritchard throws him back up into the squared circle. Follows him in. Anthony busted open on the pole. Pritchard pulls out that object that he wears on his boot and starts going to work on the whiteboard. Whatever the object was, Dave, that he had on that boot, he took it and put it right over his fist and missed Texas. That's slapping Tony Anthony with a series of slaps, man. Oh, I tell you, this Miss Texas, she comes out here and Pritchard was trying to explain Tony Anthony, why he tried to help him. Anthony did want to talk with Pritchard or Miss Texas, and Miss Texas, she let out just... This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by the IRW Network. Head on over to IRWNetwork.com and check out the brand new Triple Threat podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas and the two-man power trip of wrestling, talking current events, professional wrestling history, and all the things going on in the world of the franchise Shane Douglas. And it is every single week, brand new episodes streaming over at IRWNetwork.com. Check us out as well as check out some amazing independent wrestling content. And of course, Bischoff on Wrestling and the Bischoff on Wrestling Overrun all over at IRWNetwork.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip of wrestling for 303 episodes by the one and only John Paz. And John, today we dig back into the two-man power trip of wrestling vault and bring back one of our favorite guests from the earlier days of this show as we bring back the one and only Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard joining today's program and Doctor of Desire Tom Pritchard is promoting his appearance at the Legends of the Ring convention alongside our good buddy Nick at Captain's Corner and his amazing and eclectic Captain's Corner crew that'll be there in Monroe, New Jersey on October 21st. You can head to facebook.com and search the Captain's Corner or you can go to his free web store.org slash captains-corner and get all the pre-order and ticket information for not only Dr. Tom Pritchard, but as well as the dirty white boy, Tony Anthony, the young stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma, Eric Embry and Eric Watts. And it's like I said, an amazing eclectic lineup and it'll all be going down at legends of the ring on October 21st. But we're welcoming back Dr. Tom Pritchard. And when we spoke to him in 2015, it was a whole different world of professional wrestling. NXT was just starting to kind of take form He had been out of the WWE for a little bit, but he still had his hands in the development of Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose. And we talked about the Shield a lot in that interview, and we had to touch back on it again and kind of get a status update or a progress report on some of the things that have gone on since we had Dr. Tom join us back in 2015. But another cool thing about this interview is that we got to really go back and explore some more specific details of Dr. Tom's career that we kind of did a basic overrun 
uh, the last time we had him on. If you want to go check it out, it's on iTunes and it's on Podomatic, and you can definitely find it in the archives wherever you get your podcasts from. But this one is a little more fresh, and it's definitely a little bit more specific uh, when it comes to certain topics involving Dr. Tom. But even before we get into the full Dr. Tom interview, if you listened to our last episode with Robbie E., you heard that there's a little bit of a feud brewing between Robbie E. and Tommy Dreamer, stemming from comments that Tommy Dreamer made on this program not too long ago, only a few weeks back. And Robbie E. responded to it in kind of full force on our last episode. And we were able to get Tommy Dreamer to kind of give his response now back to Robbie E. And I think we're kind of building towards a little bit of a feud here surrounding the two-man power trip of wrestling universe. So I just want to throw it over quickly to a little clip that we got here of the dream. And we have some comments he made in response to Robbie E., So I'll jump right back in afterwards, but here's a little snippet from Tommy Dreamer with his response to Robbie E. This is the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer, and I have a message for the dad bod destroyer, Robbie E. I am not jealous of you. You are the same person who bothered me at a wake for my autograph. I have not liked you since you were a child. You're annoying. You use your children as weights and work out with your own children. You would put over fried poop and tell people it tastes good. That's why I don't like you, Robbie. That's why I despise you, bro. Even though John and I host a show called Fightin' Words, on Primal Conflict Wrestling's PCW 24-7 streaming service. Those were fighting words if I ever heard it from Tommy Dreamer. So now we'll look to see if Robbie E. has any kind of a response to Tommy Dreamer. And now if there's going to be another challenge thrown out here. But keep your eyes on this feud. Robbie E. versus Tommy Dreamer all brewing here in the two-man power trip of wrestling universe. So keep your eyes peeled. Let's see what happens next and if Robbie E. has some kind of retort. But let's get back to Dr. Tom here as we had that little interlude. Dr. Tom is talking all things Smoky Mountain. He's talking his time in the WWF. And, of course, we're talking about the huge Legends of the Ring convention coming up here in October. So, John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit more about Dr. Tom, what we have to look forward to in this interview, and get us on our way to listen to some amazing audio gold coming the way of the Doctor of Desire. Yes, Chad, back at it again here at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And Dr. Tom, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard, is back with a vengeance as he's back for a little bit of part two here at the two-man power trip of wrestling. The last time we spoke to him, like you mentioned, was about two years ago. So quite a you know great length of time has passed since the last time we talked to the Doctor of Desire. And of course, this time it all surrounds, it all predicates around Nick over at Captain's Corner as he's having a big autograph signing at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey. And along with Dr. Tom, he'll have... Tony Anthony, a.k.a. the Dirty White Boy, Eric Embry, Eric Watts, the Young Stallions. It's quite an eclectic crew. It's quite an awesome crew. And it's quite a rare, excuse me, quite a rare crew as well. As not a lot of those guys do a lot of signings, and you won't really see them doing a lot of signings together. So obviously, as you know, Dr. Tom and Dirty White Boy had a long, long-standing feud, an epic rivalry that we do discuss in this interview 
Of course, they uh, had a bit of a hanging angle that you know caught fire around the world. If you were a uh, wrestling magazine subscriber or you you know really paid attention to the wrestling business, not just you know the big time the WWF or WCW, but you know the smaller promotions around, you would have known about this epic feud between the Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony and the Doctor of Desire Tom Pritchard. So we do go into that feud, of course, and of course we do talk about all things Smoky Mountain. We go deep into that conversation we talk about the heavenly bodies we talk about james e Cornette, and we talk about rock and roll express and then numerous amount of other topics as well as this was a really really fun trip down memory lane and when you're talking to a guy like tom pritchard who has been there done that uh, just literally been everywhere and wrestled everywhere and has the wealth of knowledge that he has you know any topic that you bring up you're going to get a good story out of him so of course we delve into his time at the wwf as well we talk about the body donnas what he thought about the body donnas what he hated about the the body donnas what he liked about it which was you know pretty much just chris candido and a little bit of sunny but he did not like cutting the hair we do go into that and you know as if you know dr tom and you remember him in, in his earlier days you know how we kind of loved to flaunt that hair so cutting the hair when he was zip of the body donnas definitely wasn't something that he was happy about and we talk about that we talk about his experiences with vince mcmahon and we talk about all things wwf as well as we go through the territories we talk a little bit about continental talk a little bit about uswa and we talk, you know, basically a lot about his training and how he's basically one of the greatest trainers of all time. He's a world-renowned, critically acclaimed trainer. He trained The Rock. He trained Kurt Angle. He was a part of the training of Edge, Christian, and the Hardy Boys. So, I mean, he has done a lot in this business, and it's crazy to put on your resume that, you know, if you train Edge and Christian, okay, it's pretty good. Okay, Hardy Boys, okay, now it's getting pretty amazing. Kurt Angle, oh my God. The Rock, like, wow, he just keeps going and going. And what an amazing guy to be able to not only just train them, it's almost like he put them through finishing school. And he really put the finishing touches on these guys and really taught them how to work and how to wrestle and how to really contribute in this business. And obviously a lot of those guys have contributed to the business in a big, big, massive way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part two if you will the the return of the back with a vengeance of dr tom the doctor of desire the heavenly body himself tom pritchard absolutely and again that information if you want to come out and meet dr tom as well as the cast of characters joining nick at captain's corner at the legends of the ring convention head to facebook.com and search the captain's corner or head to his free web store.org slash captains dash corner and you can get all the pre-order information today and you can join everybody who will be at the legends of the ring convention we'll be at the legends of the ring convention and we'll have more to come on that in the coming weeks but we love to see everybody cannot wait to see dr tom and cannot wait to talk a little smoky mountain and maybe be talking a little bit more smoky mountain here in the next couple of episodes so stay tuned for that And again, like I said at the top of the show, we want to send our deepest condolences to the family of Bobby the Brain Heenan, an absolute icon, somebody who inspired myself to get into broadcasting and bring a little bit of that personality out 
Always loved Bobby the Brain, the consummate professional, the consummate heel, and possibly the greatest manager in the history of the professional wrestling business. So condolences to his family, and we will never, ever forget Bobby the Brain Heenan as long as all of us are professional wrestling fans, and his memory and his legacy will live on forever. And speaking of things that are going on forever, if you haven't heard by now, if you haven't heard this feud that's brewing with Robbie E. and Tommy Dreamer right here on the two-man power trip, you just heard Tommy Dreamer's response earlier in this program, and you're going to hear and you're going to go back and listen to Robbie E.'s response. I wonder if Robbie E. is going to have something else to say to Tommy Dreamer, because I know John's been talking to Robbie, and I bet you he's going to be stewing after he hears these comments from Tommy Dreamer, this rebuttal, if you will. So now it's uh, it's on like it could only be in the two-man power trip of wrestling world. And if you join us on the IRW network, you know that in that two-man power trip of wrestling world, we've got the Triple Threat podcast in full force and the last episode of the two of the excuse me of the triple threat podcast quite possibly our most controversial to date as Shane Douglas made the fans of Sasha Banks very very upset and if you haven't read about it if you haven't seen it check out his comments on irwnetwork.com and what he had to say to Sasha Banks about what it is to be in the limelight and to be a WWE superstar and with great power comes great responsibility and check out his comments from last week, episode 14 of the triple threat podcast today and join us over on that great platform run by the boss, Eric Bischoff. So John, that's enough out of me. Take him the rest of the way, hit him with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the doctor of desire, Tom Pritchard. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy, Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 11:25 with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. There will be a Four Horsemen reunion for sure. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now 
without any further ado, he is a former USWA World Champion. He is a former USWA Tag Team Champion. He is a former eight-time Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champion and a former WWF World Tag Team Champion. He is the Doctor of Desire. He is a heavenly body. He is Dr. Tom Pritchard. Please enjoy. Plus, 
every time I go to, to a convention or a gathering like this, man, it's the coolest people. It's the, it's the fans that come out from uh, from the old school wrestling. Even if they're even if they're in their twenties, man, they still appreciate the old school wrestling. And and this is a place I like to go and uh, really immerse myself in the atmosphere and the whole vibe. And it's a great great time, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love being in that room and seeing all the different walks of life, all the different wrestlers coming from the different promotions, and then seeing the fans kind of uh, work their you know work their way around the room. It's almost like they're working the room and uh, you know seeing a little bit of their past, their present, and the future. But another guy who's going to be a part of the Captain's Corner crew there is Tony Anthony. So there's a little bit of a Smoky Mountain wrestling connection, and of course, you know these Legends of the Ring fans are so well-versed in wrestling and know you from the WWF, but I think the word has started to travel a little bit more now about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So being in New Jersey and talking a little Smoky Mountain Wrestling, is that something that back in the day in Smoky Mountain you, you'd think you'd be doing 20 years later? No, 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 not at all. But, uh, you know, after seeing the the plug on Raw a couple couple weeks now, uh, they're, they're talking about some of the old territory matches they have on the network and people are discovering the old school and have you guys had the chance to see Southpaw Championship Wrestling or Regional Wrestling? Have you watched that? Man? Yes, definitely. You can't miss it yeah, when they post okay. things. Of course, man. Well, I have to. And I, you know, I almost I, I cringe, but I, but I can't cringe because they're so right on with a lot of the territory stuff. It was so ridiculous, but it was so good, man. And Smoky Mountain excuse me, was one of those territories that was just so so good with the old school and with Knoxville and, and uh, East Tennessee and this the southeastern part of the country. Fans wanted to believe. They still want to believe and they want to come and have a great uh a great time uh where where the guys went out, the wrestlers went out and, and gave it their all and uh and it was wrestling or wrestling, however you want to say it. And uh, I think, you know, people discovering that style and discovering the, the vibe and and the atmosphere that was created back then by those guys. So, you know, I've known Tony uh, Anthony, gosh, for over 30 years. And uh, so, we, you know, we, we've this isn't the only territory we've uh, wrestled together in. You know, it's been Memphis and uh, Continental Championship Wrestling in Alabama and Florida and uh, mainly in the Southern Territories, you know. And then, uh, of course, he was T.L. Hopper and WWF back then. But uh, it's just good to see him. And, um, again, you know, we live in Knoxville. Both of us live in Knoxville now. So we, we get together occasionally, have dinner, and uh, uh, still communicate and tell old stories and lies whenever we get together, man. So if anybody's around us at the table, uh, I'm sure we'll hear a few of those. And, and they'll have to decipher which is true and which isn't. And, of course, I'll be telling the truth, and that no-good son of a gun will be telling the lies. So. <laughs> you know, that's really funny that you mentioned the, the Southpaw being authentic to, you know, what the territories were because, you know, there's a little bit of a backlash from old-school fans who still take that kind of wrestling uh, very seriously, <laughs> especially those historians that look back, and they basically watch the old school like it is the new school because they can – kind of uh, uncover new territories they've never seen before. But do you look at that still? You just you like it as a kind of tongue-in-cheek look back? I mean, obviously the guys who were doing it are, <laughs> were fans themselves. 
So, uh, you know, yeah. maybe the uh, the hardcore purist might think it's, uh, you know, not great, but as a guy who went through it, you think it's something that's pretty authentic. Man, look, they're having fun. You you have to look at wrestling these days. And, you know, as we're talking, as we are talking this very moment, I know this is on tape, but I'm watching Dolph Ziggler. I don't know what he's saying, but it's obvious he's parodying John Cena right now. So, look, it's always been sports entertainment. And was it over the top and kind of hokey back then? In the, I grew up in the 60s, man. I watched the 60s and 70s, and then I started actually wrestling in, in 1979. So there was a lot of old school, uh, you know, wrestling back then. And to expect, you know, looking back on it, um, <laughs> some of it was pretty, you know, some of it was pretty good, but some of it was pretty terrible. So, yeah, uh, they're making fun and they're having a good time. But I mean, it's 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 entertaining to me, and it almost if it hits home, it hits home. But I don't have any problem with it. It's uh, it is what it is, and if we can't laugh at ourselves, then, you know, who can? <laughs> you know, who, who, everybody's going to laugh at it because it's just so crazy. But then you look at it and you're going like, uh, man, look at the Detroit territory. The, the Jericho as being the guy who was in the ring uh, introducing the Sheik during the TV. is probably the guy's nephew. You know, I could I could tell you every character that's been in every territory that those guys are, are spoofing. And, and Lance Catamaran, John Cena's dead on, man, because some of those guys just took it way, way over the top. But you know what? It is what it is. It was what it was, and, and it's evolved to this. Whether it's for the better or worse, time alone will tell, man. But uh, these days, let me just say this: the, the guys on WWE are better athletes. They have better, uh, they have better advice than we did, and they're they're taking a lot better care of themselves. So they have a right to do what they want, and and if they're if nobody watches, then nobody watches. <clears throat> but they seem to be doing okay, I guess. You know, uh, so far. I know it was a highly anticipated uh, second edition that they they published there. So uh, obviously. They're doing something right, and they've turned it into T-shirts, and they've uh, kind of spawned their own little cult following there. So they're almost controlling the uh, the narrative in terms of uh, not only the uh, the old school that they've got in their vault, but they're creating their own old school vibe now. Of course, man. But you know uh, what was it? Um, uh, I forget. I forgot the character. Uh, um, Michael Hayes was on the last one. What was it? Dewey. You know, do it for Dewey, you know, and Michael's coming out doing the deal. So I mean, you know, they know, and and Michael was as old school as it got. Michael's great, has a great mind for this business, but you know, Michael was uh, <laughs> was a child of the '70s and '80s, and and the Freebirds, and my God, if you wanted to talk about every stereotype of what a wrestler is and was back then, you look no farther than Michael P.S. Hayes, and Michael's a very good friend of mine, and I think he. Uh, I think he had a good time with it too, and understands what it is. So, I think they're just having fun and, uh, uh, you know, pointing out the absurd part of what what professional wrestling was back then. But I got to tell you, man, I loved, I loved professional wrestling back then. I loved professional wrestling back then, and I still love professional wrestling today. And I think the fans that come to conventions like Legends of the Ring are in that same boat. And some of them may think that uh, 
we get offended, and some guys do get offended when when we're being made fun of and parodied. But but I don't, man. I mean, it's it is like I said, it is what it is. And laugh at it, and enjoy it, and entertain yourself, and entertain everybody else, and and that's what this is about. So when you go to a convention like this, and obviously, you know, like we've said, these are hardcore fans that are coming to these, and these are guys that they know what they want. You know, when they bring an item to get signed, they know what they want to say to you probably weeks and weeks in advance. But what would you say the most discussed or asked about topic is with you when you get into one of these things? Uh, A lot of people ask me about the time uh, that Tony Anthony hung me in Birmingham and the the dirty white boy or the dirty white girl came up and uh, uh, wanted to talk to Tom. And they remember, they remember moments, gosh, moments uh, from, from that, I think, especially on YouTube. But uh, a lot of fans, you know, I make no bones about it, man. I know, I know our position, what it was in WWE. I know what we did. And later on, I really enjoyed training people and, and, and getting that aspect of my career uh, going. And a lot of people will ask me about the guys I've trained, who the, who the most successful guy, I think, came through. And, of course, the most successful guy that I had, uh, had a chance to help was The Rock. But it wasn't definitely wasn't all me, and it definitely wasn't uh, just because of me that The Rock was successful. The Rock was, was successful because he, he had no other choice. That was his destiny, and he, he wasn't going to stop until he was. So, uh, you know, the the greatest thing about the fans coming up and just saying something to you is I, I, I know what it was like when I was a fan. I know I still have that feeling because I'm still a fan. But I know what it was like when you'd walk up to somebody and say something, and they would be, oh, yeah, thanks, or mm, not not say anything. But to be genuinely interested and to be genuinely uh, paying attention to what you're saying means everything. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. They may not remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. It's so true, uh, and I hold that still to this day. Um, I feel it's uh, I feel that's very important because because like I said, I was a fan too, and I remember the. Uh, the jerks, and I remember the guys who, who took the time and took that extra time and effort to uh, at least seem and be interested. That is a hell of a uh, that's a hell of a moment for them to uh, to pick out because my God, that's pretty uh, it's pretty intense, and we've documented it many many times on this show that Smoky Mountain Wrestling was uh, was pretty much the last territory to do kind of uh, more extreme angles like that. Ha ha! Not a nod to ECW by saying extreme, but. One of the things I wanted to bring up to you as we kind of talked about Smoky Mountain was just the intensity of some of the things that you did. And what comes to mind with me is the feud that the Heavenly Bodies had with uh, Bobby Fulton and Jackie Fulton and the intensity that you guys had. And and just going back to do a little research for the episode and watching the brawl that you guys had backstage and literally throwing every single piece of debris you could find and and a seemingly endless brawl back there. You know, do you think that Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, being like, quote, the last real territory, do you think that you guys were really ahead of your time with um, kind of keeping that intact, you know, that, that nostalgic view at this point, but kind of like the, um, you know, the more authentic product that was lost only, you know, not only a few years later? 
Well, I I don't know if we were necessarily keeping it or being ahead of our time. I do know this, though. Uh, the general consensus with the guys that Jim Cornette wanted in Smoky Mountain, wanted in his territory, uh, were guys who loved the business, believed in the business of professional wrestling, and knew when they came to the arena or came to the building, uh, they took it seriously and were not playing a character, but who they were was who they were. And it was in that realm of authenticity that that we came to uh, to the ring and did our, did our matches. And with the Fantastics, like it was Bobby and Jackie Fulton, uh, it was one of those things... And it's just, to go off a side street here, it's kind of like working with Brock Lesnar. You know when you go in the ring with Brock, it's going to be a solid match. Um, You know when you went in the ring with Fantastics that they were going to throw, if it came down to that's what we we had set up, going to throw objects or whatever it was. We were going to throw whatever it was. We weren't going to half-ass it. We had to throw it for real, and it was all going to be uh, as real as it had to be. And that was the attitude we all had. We still uh, walked to the ring like it was a match, like we were going into competition, like we were going into win. We didn't break, so I hate the word character, but we didn't break character. We weren't playing a part. We were being the part. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> what what you saw is what you saw, and, and it was just us with our, our attitudes and our personalities turned up. Um, I didn't like people. I had long hair to hide the, a lot of issues I had, um, and I looked down. I, I, I just I had this vibe. I knew I had the vibe that uh, uh, just stay away from me because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk. Yeah, I was a heel, and I was supposed to be a heel, and I felt it. So I think in that territory, he wanted guys like that, and uh, for the most part, that's what we had. Now, us on this show, we're huge Cornette fans. You know, we're we're part of uh, the cult of Cornette. What are your thoughts of Jim Cornette? And did you enjoy working for him back in the Smoky Mountain days? Oh, my God. I enjoyed every minute of it, even, even when I made him mad. Uh, I made him mad one time in Johnson City when he destroyed his racket, but it, that was my fault, and I took full responsibility. But I have nothing but love, respect, and admiration for Jim Cornette. He has every right to have his opinion. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says or does, but that doesn't matter because I respect him so much for what he's, the commitment that he put into everything, uh, not just in Smoky Mountain, but but even today. He just is a, uh, uh, he's talented. He is smart. He does understand um, uh, parts about the business that, that, People may not think he understands today. He does understand it, but I think he enjoys also being an antagonist too. So I, I have uh, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Jim. I really, really do. He, and he, if it wasn't for Jim, I wouldn't wouldn't have would have never had an opportunity to do the things I did. If I could stay on Smoky Mountain for a second here, I just loved the Heavenly Bodies. Such a great gimmick, such a great look, such a great team. 
coming together and putting that together, especially starting it off with Stan Lane, obviously the legendary wrestler from one of the greatest tag teams ever, the Midnight Express at that point, coming off of there. But what were your thoughts of, you know, when Jimmy kind of gives you the heavenly bodies and, and, and the gimmick and working with Stan Lane? Well, I was here's here's where that was in, in my life and my career at the time. I was in Nashville uh, working for Jerry Jarrett, and um, I had been there maybe a little over a year, I think. And uh, Jim called me out of the blue at my apartment in Nashville, and <clears throat> excuse me, asked me if I would be interested in uh, coming. Uh, doing this deal with Stan because Bobby obviously had a contract in WCW, but Stan and Jimmy had left, and uh, he laid out what he wanted to do with Smoky Mountain and, and explained Rick Rubin was was the money guy behind it and and what uh, what he could do for me, what he could pay, and and this is what he had in mind. And I wasn't sure about it right off the bat. I didn't didn't. Uh, uh, you know, to open up a new territory in that day and age, it really was a risk. But, as I said, I'd been in Nashville for a while, Memphis for a while, and it was time to go. And now to have an opportunity um, to be paired with the top guys, I thought, my God, why not? This, this is a great opportunity. I, thought I was very uh, flattered. I was uh, uh, humbled. I was I was thrilled. And... Why not? And I knew Stan before. Always got along with Stan. He was funny. He was entertaining and a great worker. So I thought, what a great idea. And uh, so I had no problems coming in, uh, especially I'd, I'd addressed in Knoxville before, so I understood the, the town. I understood that the, the people in East Tennessee are still, you know, they, they, they're old school wrestling fans. A lot of them are anyway. And they remember guys like Whitey Caldwell and Ron and Don Wright still to this day. And if you don't know who those guys are, you can look them up or just come to Knoxville and somebody will tell you. Um, so, you know, I, I once I realized that Jim was serious and this was a real deal, uh, I went ahead and gave my notice and came in. But I was thrilled, man. I thought, uh, you know, great idea. I was just happy to be a part of it. To me, at that point, it would be a little bit of pressure, you know, feel, almost being that Bobby Eaton role, almost filling in for Bobby Eaton role. Was it more excitement, though, rather than pressure and feeling nervous at all about it? Well, I think by that time I was 30. It was 1990, and I just turned 30. So I'd already had, like, uh, about 10 years in the business. And uh, I didn't I didn't feel pressure as much as excitement because it was going to be a different team. Um, Bobby was a different personality than I was, and uh, you know I all through my career I really never uh, pushed anything and never really uh, uh, stepped up and said, "Hey, what about this? What about that?" Except maybe a couple times in Alabama. Uh, when I was with the Armstrongs. But now I had somebody telling me, hey, you're going to be with us, and we're the top team, uh, and we have this opportunity. So if you had the confidence to call me, you called me. I didn't call you looking for a gig. So this was more like, you know who I am. Jim had known me for years. Uh, you, you knew if my personal 
personality would match up with Stan's if, if I could uh, work well with others in the back. Um, well, then that's good enough for me. You're giving me the confidence, and James, Jim's, Jim gave me the confidence and the vote, vote of confidence on his part. So, no, there wasn't really any pressure, I don't think. It was just uh, the excitement of coming in and uh, making it blend and making it work. And I think it did up until the time Stan said, eh, I don't think I'm going to drive all the way from Charlotte <laughs> making shots from what he's making. So, you know. So, obviously, then you're transitioning to uh, Gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey, who's great chemistry with you, unbelievable tag team. There I say almost a step above you and Stan just because of the fact that I feel like you guys had – this weird, like undeniable chemistry together. Do you, you know, did you enjoy making that shift and, and teaming with JDR? Well, I got to tell you, um, I, you know, at that, at that point in my life and my point, that point in my career, I um, had already pretty much uh, had my own way of thinking. And, Jimmy Del Rey and I were two different people backstage. We just uh, in, in the ring. I couldn't deny, man, he was a great worker. But but when we would go backstage, uh, I really was the kind of guy. If I went out, um, I wanted to scope out the place and kind of lay back and let let the action come to me if there was any to be had. If you follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Jim was the kind of guy who, who, yeah, Jim was the kind of guy who wanted to go in blaring, man, all just full speed ahead and let everybody know we're there. He's there, man. Hey, man, and and, and be the center and be the be the attraction. Well, that's okay if you're going to be cool. Uh, but there were moments when he would drink a little or be a little over the top and. Uh, it just it wasn't wasn't my scene, you know. So we, we just were two different people. But a lot of it was me, man. I, I had uh, I had my issues, and I I just was one of those guys that wanted things my way. And if you didn't want to do them my way, that's fine. Do them your way, but just stay the hell away from me because I got a system going. You know what I mean? And at that time, like I said, I was. I was in my early 30s, man, and I was just, uh, <laughs> I didn't have time for a lot of a lot of other things that somebody else wanted to do. I, I wanted to do my thing, and uh, Jimmy wanted to do his. But the great thing about it was, um, in the ring, we, we, we worked great. Uh, but, you know, when we went backstage, we just kind of did our own thing, we kind of traveled by ourselves too and we traveled a couple times together but that just proved to be you know just we we didn't need the stress of of traveling with each other living with each other all the time and then getting to the ring so we just kind of made it work the other way and uh i saw him in charlotte like uh right before he passed away in 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 august he came to greg price's uh um charlotte show the uh Legend show in Charlotte, and and we we did a family body reunion. Saw him, we talked and reconciled, and, and it was great seeing him. Uh, then he passed away in December of that year. So, <clears throat> do I wish I would have uh, done things different? Man, I wish I would have done a lot of things different. 
but but be that as it may. I enjoyed working with Jimmy in the ring. Outside the ring at that time, we were best separated. Yeah, I mean, and you guys definitely, you know, a lot of fans remember because of the the time that you guys spent at WWF, but as that team kind of, you know, matured together, did you did it get worse as you guys were kind of a longer tenure team or or did it kind of just become, you know, the the second nature for you that you went your way and he went his way? Did it kind of, you know, switch a little bit when you guys went up north? Um, I, I wouldn't say that it got worse. I would just say that um I had my uh, rituals, and he had his. And uh, my rituals <laughs> were a little darker <laughs> at times, and um, I didn't like people uh, shining light on me. And sometimes that happened, and and it just was better off that we, you know, he was he was hanging with other people, and I was hanging with other people. And uh, a lot of times I was by myself because I preferred it that way. But when we got up there, um, you know, it's it's a different. It, it was a different way of uh, existing up there. You you if if you wanted to to run with um, with with one pack. You know, you had to be with that pack at that time. And I just man, I'm just, I've never been a pack guy except with my pack you know Brad Armstrong was my pack and that was it and everybody else I just always was looking over my shoulder and Jimmy kind of liked getting in that pack and didn't realize that that you know they're going to eat you in the end and uh, they did they eventually did so um anyway as far as did it get worse or did it kind of just become the norm I think it got worse on my part uh, and Jimmy just kind of did what he had to do. It's so fascinating with you and, and Jimmy. It's funny, you know, you get along in the ring, outside the ring, people would have no idea, you know, different personalities. But one thing that you guys did, you know, we may never see in wrestling again. You're in Smoky Mountain. You're feuding with the Rock and Roll Express. Then you bring that feud to WCW, you know, and uh, Super Brawl, and you wrestle them there in a great match. And then you bring it to WWF and Survivor Series, and you have a match there. Was that kind of crazy for you at that point, going literally being a Smoky Mountain, but going WWF and WWF in the same year? Yeah, it was. It was a little, a little crazy, but the circumstances dictated. I mean, uh, it was supposed to be um, we were going to start doing things with WCW because Bill Watts was in that uh, decision-making position. <laughs> And when he got fired, um, we got the offer from WWF. And, of course, I don't know if you talked to JC about this, but you know the way we did it. Uh, my brother called and wanted – my dad had come to visit me in Knoxville, and he was making the towns with me. And my brother wanted him to do a, a promo on the uh, for us and to send it up there to him. And it was a rib on me, but we, we did it in, in – Bruce played it for some people up in New York, and they said, hey, man, they saw Cornette, and they wanted Cornette to come up and be the spokesman for Yokozuna. But then they said, well, okay, bring the, the heavenly bodies up, and uh, you know, we can put them in a couple matches and we can do the tag team thing. But, but 
when we did the Rock and Roll Express thing in, in uh, WCW, you know, we were going to start making shots there because it was close. And then the New York thing came up, and we got to do uh, work with the Steiners, and we worked with Rock and Roll and Survivor Series in Boston where they absolutely massacred us. They didn't want to see wrestling. They wanted to see WWF style, man. And, and we didn't give them that. We gave them a high spot Southern match, and they just crapped all over us. But, you know, i got to tell you, man, it was still a cool thing uh, to be able to do that. And, and you know, I, I, at the time it was exciting, but also at the time I, I understood what it was. You know, they they were looking for a way to get Jimmy up there, but give us a shot too, and, and they did. So, no, I have no complaints, man, except when I had to cut my hair. And even then I'm not complaining. I just thought it was <laughs> pretty crappy. But, you know, it was what it was, man. I... I, I again, I got to do a lot of things that uh, some guys don't get to do. So, and it, and it led to a great opportunity in in training and coaching. And come to find out, I loved that even more than performing. You know, I, I mean, I love performing, but but at the same time, there was nothing more satisfying than uh, watching somebody gain confidence because I understood what it's like to have no confidence. You know, to doubt yourself all the time, and then to finally understand and watch somebody get it when they when they they're looking for that step and they, they don't know how to take that step, and then you give them that permission to go ahead and just go all out and do whatever it has to do. Do whatever you have to do. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to con- condemn you. Just take a chance. And when they do, they finally find it. That that's that was something that uh, I wouldn't have been able to find if I wouldn't have taken that journey to go with Jim to Smoky Mountain, which led to WWF, hence WWE. So that transition from wrestler to trainer kind of came to you naturally and came to you easily? I think so, yeah. I didn't realize it at the time, but as time went on, it, it, I did realize it because I, the more I was saying these things and, and uh, expounding on the positive, it was something that I wish someone would have done for me along the way. Uh, but but that's cool, man, because I, I I at least got to do it for a couple other people. But yeah, it did come. It came a lot easier than I thought. Now, obviously, I want to just go back to Smoky Mountain for a second, because you know you, you're WCW, WWF, obviously still in Smoky Mountain doing doing different things there. But while in Smoky Mountain, these two young upstarts who would eventually become some pretty big names in the business, thrill seekers, Jericho and Storm, did you see anything out of those guys at that point? Did you kind of, you know, as they're kind of coming up through the ranks, did you say, wow, these guys got something. They're going to, you know, they're going to be stars. Uh, yeah, I didn't know how big they'd be. But, yeah, yeah, you could see it, man. Jericho especially was uh... – Um, especially was that guy who just had the bravado, the the confidence, and he looked the part. You know, he broke his arm doing the shooting star press before the match after we had already cut a month worth of promos and and told Jim he's going to go out and practice this move. And Cornette said, just don't get hurt. And then somebody came back and said, hey, Jericho broke his arm. He's on his way to the hospital. Uh, Jim thought it was a rib. You know, but yeah, you could see these guys and and tell that they had it. The how how far would they go? 
nobody could tell at that time, but I mean, they had something, they had drive, um, they had the willingness to come from Canada down to Knoxville, Tennessee, and take a chance. And that's what you have to do in the business. And they were young enough. It was it was a smart move on their part. But yeah, certainly, I, both of them were in shape. They they had passion. They were enthusiastic. So, sure, I think we all saw something in them. Smoky Mountain, the last real territory. So really, when you go back and watch it, whether it be the network or YouTube, or wherever, it always is fascinating to me how good it was and. You know, remembering it from back in the day, I feel like some people, you know, may have had different opinions on it. But so many guys have came from Smoky Mountain, whether they went on to ECW or whether Vince was kind of using Smoky Mountain as a feeder league for the WWF at that point. Did you kind of see it as that? Like, you know, you see Glenn Kane Jacobs and all of a sudden, you know, he's a Unibomb and then he's in the WWF. Uh, Al Snow, yourself at one point, did you kind of see yourself as not being a feeder league, but almost being that league getting getting you ready for the WWF? Well, I, I believe that's what it was supposed to be. Originally, it was. You know, I, I think that was that was going to be uh, the developmental per se system and and have a fed feed down into Smoky Mountain, but it just didn't turn out. Uh, of course, later on, OVW in uh, Louisville did when Jim wanted to leave Stanford and uh, we had already started the developmental system in Stanford. Uh, he talked Vince and taking it down to Danny Davis's OVW and uh, that was originally what Smoky Mountain was meant to be. You know, it was going to be like that with WCW until Watts got fired and then uh, I believe something was in the works but then in the meantime uh, the business was really, really changing and just to keep things afloat. It was uh, JC being a one-man show and that's that's a hard deal to do when you're, you're trying to get everything done by yourself and uh, you know yeah, I, I think it would have been great, but you know, things didn't work out that way. So many guys from Smoky Man just stick out. Even a guy like D'Lo Brown, you know, him, him going from Smoky Man to the WBF but, you know, you are doing something special coming up soon with uh, Smoky Mountain, former Smoky Mountain alumni that I mentioned, and that is Glenn Kane Jacobs. Are you surprised to see him getting into the uh, the political realm and kind of getting into that side of the of the spectrum? Not really. You know, uh, Glenn's a pretty smart guy, and he's very uh, community aware. He wants to help his community. He, he fell in love with Knoxville when he when he was actually wrestling for Smoky Mountain, and he he met a lady here, Crystal, that he fell in love with and married. And he's been here for gosh, I don't know, twenty years. Uh, but he's always been involved in community uh, activities. He he does charitable, my God, charities. Uh, not just in Knoxville, but Atlanta, I believe it was. He just he just came back from Atlanta doing something. I don't know exactly what it was. But to see him get involved uh, with the city and, and to run for mayor uh, doesn't surprise me at all because he's that kind of guy. He's a can-do guy. He's a will-do guy. He, he, looks, uh, uh, he'll, he looks for the right answer. He'll listen to any suggestions. Uh, but he, he knows what's right. He knows what's right in his heart. He knows what's right in his mind. He knows what's right and the right things to do. 
and, and I believe in him, and I support him, and I'm looking for him to be the next mayor of Knox County. Nice, and we, uh, we wish him the best of luck. Obviously, uh, my co-host Chad is uh, very good friends with him, so he's uh, definitely rooting for him as well, which is very cool. But, you know, speaking of, you know, WWF guys, and obviously he made the transition pretty well, had a 20-year run in the WWF. Now, you kind of mentioned it and alluded to it before, cutting the hair when you had to go to the WWF and were kind of going full-time and becoming, obviously, part of the body Donnas with Chris Candido, known as Skip. Obviously, Sonny was with you as well, but what was it about cutting the hair? You, you just fell, you know, attached to the hair? You, you didn't like cutting it? No, 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 no. <laughs> Here's what it was, man. You know, uh, it's kind of like uh, I had my hair for, gosh, I don't know, 10 years. Maybe it had been that long, maybe longer. I don't even remember how long I had it that long. But after being that and walking around again with my hair on my face, and I had this uh, scowl on my face, and I didn't like people. I mean, it, it was one of the—I don't think it was one one of those things where uh, you turn into your character. But I was. Um, let me see. How can I put this? I was uh, sailing the ocean uh, for about thirty, thirty-five years. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody wanted me to come on dry land. And uh, you know, if you do that, if you if you go to sea for a long time and and you try to step on dry land after you know it takes a while to get your legs back under you. That's kind of how it was when I cut my hair. You know, I'd had that hair for so long; it was like a shield. It was like my flag against society, or whatever you want to call it. And now I don't have that flag to wave, or I don't have that flag to hide behind. I had to be exposed to the world. And I wasn't very friendly to the world. The world wasn't very friendly to me, but I couldn't hide my uh, eyes. I couldn't hide my uh, scowl. I couldn't look down. Everybody could see me in plain sight. And that was the, uh, that's the metaphor I can use. You know, it's like being at sea for, for so long, and all of a sudden you have to come into shore and, and walk like you're on, on steady ground. Well, it's not so easy, man, because I've kind of been, you know, with, weather storms and sunny days, cloudy days and things like that. And uh, now it's all gone. I have no shelter. That's what it was like. You know, I felt naked. Hey, listen, man. No, no, let me say this. Not that I wouldn't have mind walking around naked, man, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, I would have had my hair. So... <laughs> That was very poetic, the way you kind of put that. That mm. was uh, well said. Well, I got a lot sure. more where that came from, yeah. <laughs> now, the actual the body Donna character, you know, the, the gimmick with Candido as a skip and obviously Sonny as the manager. Did you enjoy that character? Did you, like we were kind of saying, some of the over-the-top characters, did you enjoy playing that one? Not a bit. Not one second new. Did not enjoy it. I hated every minute of it. I really, really did. I love Chris Candido. I loved being around Chris. He he was yeah, Chris was a good kid. He was very very passionate about wrestling. But I hated the gimmick. I didn't know the gimmick. I didn't like the gimmick. I, I tried to be a gimmick. It wasn't me. It, it it was. I was so out of water. And at that time in my life, though, again, uh, all these all these uh, 
issues were adding up, if you will. And I just got to the point where I just, it was a job. And when, when, when you look at, at professional wrestling as a job, it's going to suck because there's other things that, you know, the, the, the mats, the rings were so hard back then, too. They hadn't switched the rings yet. They didn't switch the rings in WWE until after uh, we started training guys in the warehouse in Stanford. And I, I was taking all the bumps, even more so than when I was wrestling. And I told my brother and Vince, man, we got to find a way. We finally <laughs> made the rings like they were in the South where they had some give. But anyway... Um, I just, uh, I hated being a body donor. It wasn't me. I, I didn't know how to be that body donor to make it work. And then when they wanted to take away Sonny and give us Cloudy, Vince told us at a meeting at Madison Square Garden of all places, and Candido said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I thought, oh, geez, don't say anything. But it was the stupidest thing I ever heard, and I should have spoke up too. But they didn't care. We were pretty well screwed anyway, so... It was a terrible gimmick. It was a suck gimmick. It was a drizzling suck-ass gimmick. Terrible. So, no, no. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing I didn't mention uh, Dr. X and, and the bracket. No, I and Dr. Ne- whoa, whoa, whoa. Dr. X was okay, man, because I didn't mind going out there losing under a mask. I didn't mind going out there losing anybody anyway, but that wasn't as bad as being a body Donna. <laughs> Just didn't like it. Did not care for it. Did you, hey, you but we were, tag team, we were tag team champions, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys had some great moves <sighs> with the Godwins and then ended up winning the, the tag team title, so it's not all that bad, right? I mean, there's some positives. Wait a minute. Well, okay, but there's the thing. I, and I love I love Henry and, and Phineas, and they're two very, very good guys, but it was the body donors versus the Godwins. Look at the tag. Anyway, don't, don't, no, I'm not even going to go down this road. <laughs> That's a ter- this is a terrible road to go down. The Godwins were great guys, but they sure aren't classic matches. They were what they were. So we did what we did, and we got through it. So when you guys are kind of the body donors or even, even Dr. X or whatever, do you guys have any kind of clout at all like it's with Vince like can you say anything to him like for instance you didn't like the idea with uh, Sonny being gone from the group or anything can you mention something to Vince and can you kind of take it to him sure sure you could and Chris did but I didn't because I didn't want to make any waves and I really didn't care back then I didn't care but you get again I'm you know talking about these these issues and, and, and you know dark clouds and thunderstorms that were in my life you know, at that time, um, I, I had, you know, I was not paying attention to what I needed to pay attention to. And all these other distractions were were extremely distracting. And uh, that's my fault. So looking back on it, um, I sabotaged a lot of things I should have just uh, paid more attention to and, and really... Uh, took more seriously, but sure, we could have said anything to Vince. That's that's we weren't. I don't think we were muted or or held down or anything like that. If anybody, I held myself down, um, and and I regret a lot of things I did. I regret a lot of things I didn't do. But um, <laughs> the only way I can uh, I can the only way I can survive 
is is by remembering something that he didn't he didn't originate it, but the American Dream told me one time. He said, "Yesterday is dead, tomorrow's blind. You can just live one day at a time." So that's how I have to look at it right now, man. I think Willie Nelson wrote that in a song, but the American Dream told me that. He says, "Keep this in mind, kid. Yesterday is dead." Tomorrow's blind. You can just live one day at a time. I said, I'm going to steal that. I said, please do. Hmm. So, <laughs> that's great. Perfect uh, words of wisdom there by the dream. But, you know, just talking about something you do really love, and that was the training, and we'd be remiss to not bring him up. And you mentioned Kurt Angle when we spoke to you the last time and how, you know, you played such a huge part in Kurt Angle's uh, just learning what it was like to step through the ropes. And now he's a WWE Hall of Famer, and I know he's done a lot in the wrestling world, but now to be a WWE enshrined Hall of Famer, that's a pretty big thing. So I guess the uh, the logical question would be, did you see Hall of Fame quality with Kurt Angle the first time you guys locked up? Is it the Hall of Fame quality Kurt Angle? Just Hall of Fame. Mean, did, did WWE I... Hall of Famer Kurt Angle. Yeah. I mean, what about him? He, he's Kurt. Not only, I mean, he's on, he's uh, the commissioner on Raw, or no, general manager, excuse me, on Raw now. Uh, but but Kurt was always. There's no doubt. If you didn't induct Kurt Angle, you didn't think of inducting Kurt in the Hall of Fame. Uh, after all he had done for WWE, I mean, that's that's ludicrous. So I mean, I knew it was just a matter of time. I think everybody knew it was just a matter of time. Um, and Kurt, by all means, deserves it. Uh, he's, he's the only gold medalist ever to cross over and be successful uh, in, in a professional wrestling ring, but in a sports entertainment ring. I think he's very well deserved. I think all the all the Hall of Famers this year was very well, very very well deserved. Especially Rock and Roll Express, man. It was a shame they weren't in there sooner, but I think uh, that was that was very very fitting. Yeah, a lot of ties to uh, your career that went into that Hall of Fame class. But I guess also uh, Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle's son, must have been very proud of him uh, as well that he's now a Hall of Famer. You know. Well, you know what, man. I, I think Kurt, uh, obviously living the life of what of professional wrestlers back then, knowing that we would uh you know, hang out in the bar and find someone to get lucky with later on and who knew who knew that that uh, an offspring of Kurt would finally rise to the occasion, not only rise to the occasion, but show up in WWE one day and as he is the GM and begin and say, Dad, here I am. I mean how how ironic and how fitting that, that something as caring and, and lovely as that would happen. What do you think? Who who would have thought that it would have been on the same, uh, you know, they would have been the same company, same time. It worked out perfectly. But just another, one more thing from here out of me uh, before John uh, carries it the rest of the way here. Just, we also talked about the Shield. And at that point in 2015, we hadn't seen everybody uh, fully uh, developing uh, to that point. It was really only Rollins was pushed forward and uh, Roman was still you know, getting that crown uh, put on top of his head that he was going to be the next guy. And you said that Rollins played the game very well. But now looking back two years after that interview, that was July 2015, seeing the evolution of the Shield, 
What do you think on how they've gone thus far? Obviously, we've seen all of them kind of take that step forward. All three have been world champions since we spoke with you. All all three of those guys have really stepped up and really shown everybody um, that they deserve everything they got. Yeah, all three have held the title. All three have uh, done everything possible, and there's more waiting, man. Roman Reigns, uh, yeah, I didn't. I, here's a mistake I made. I didn't think he was he was ready, but you know the old quote: if you if you wait until you're ready, it's going to be too late. So I mean, he was perfect for the for the spot, and he's perfect for the spot now. Um, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, uh, I think are going to be around for a long, long time, and I think they proved everybody and shown everybody. Um, that they're capable and main event stars, that they are legitimate, bona fide superstars. You can't deny that, all three. Roman Reigns, he has the look. He has the attitude. He has the aptitude to, to succeed and to uh, – he's not afraid. That's the thing. He's not afraid. He stepped up. You don't, you don't go over the Undertaker unless you have the confidence – of the office, and unless they believe in you, that just doesn't happen. And how do you get them to believe in you? And that's why consistency and and putting out that effort that he does every night. All the, all three of those guys have been great. I'm I'm happy for all of them. I'm proud of all of them. And as I start to wind it down here, I know in the last couple of weeks, Roman Reigns and Cena have been doing some shoot promos and things like that, or, you know, quote, unquote, unquote, shoot promos. Have you had the chance to see any of that? And are you, are you kind of seeing, because I thought Roman Reigns has been doing pretty good on it in, in the role that he's been given. Have you been able to kind of catch any of that? Do you catch any current wrestling? Yeah, sure do. I thought it was great. As a matter of fact, <laughs> if, if you, if you watch what's going on and you, you, you feel it and you see it. Um, for example, did, did you watch the Mayweather McGregor fight? Did you, mm-hmm. did you yep. see any of their, did you see any of their press conferences leading up? Yes. Because, okay. I had a couple guys tell me, man, that McGregor's going to kill him. He's a badass. He, he, he's, he's got that left hand. And I, I kept trying to explain, you don't understand. this. That's not what this is. Same thing with, with Reigns and Cena. Everybody is smart. Everybody knows everything. No, you really don't know everything. <laughs> I don't know everything. unless you, Nobody knows everything unless you're there listening. And even then when you're listening and, and, and knowing what's going on, even then there's that element of doubt. I think what they're doing is great just because they're saying things people don't think they're supposed to say to each other. That's great because when you get real with each other and, and look, the guys know what everybody's saying. The guys know what's out there. The guys know because it's their job to know. You have to be aware. And those guys, Roman is aware that people think he's not deserving. Okay, great. Cena's aware that people boo the shit out of him every, every week. That's great. Well, why not address it? 
why not address it? And and they are. They're addressing it. So people think, ooh, they're shooting on each other. Ooh, that wasn't supposed to be said. Ooh. And if it wasn't, so what? It'll only get Roman sharper. It'll get Cena sharper. That's what, my God, Lawler did it in Memphis for years. Terry Funk did it in Texas for years. You know, I've seen it before. You know, when 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 this was real, when when back in the the sixties and seventies, when you know you couldn't tell me wrestling was fake because it was real. And okay, well, it's the same thing, man. Everybody's been told, even on the front of the network, they say these are actors portraying a role. But John Cena and, and Roman Reigns are shooting on each other. Really, they're shooting. What's a shoot? I don't know if I've ever seen a real shoot. I know what one's supposed to be, I think, but I, no, I take the back. I have seen a, I've seen Dick Slater grab Evan Johnson in the dressing room in Houston one night and just almost beat the hell out of him, but we had to pull him off. That's a shoot. I haven't seen a shoot in a ring. I don't know when, if ever. But if they want to shoot, and that's what the people think they're doing, a shooting and that's great because it adds a little more interest to it. Brock Lesnar is the most real guy they've got. But if he was shooting on everybody, I guarantee you, he wouldn't have the title and they wouldn't get in the ring with him. So that's what I think. I think Roman Reigns is great. I think John Cena is great. Yeah, I feel like people are kind of uh, underestimating Roman a little bit right now, but he's definitely the the future or uh, – you know, the, obviously, you know, anoint, the anointed one, if you will. But, you know, with the Performance Center, with NXT, with Triple H and this kind of things, are you, you know, obviously Roman Reigns came from FCW, which was a, a developmental territory at, at that point. But are you kind of glad to see kind of where developmental has turned back from, you know, kind of OVW, almost Smoky Mountain to a point now where we see it today with, um, you know, NXT and the Performance Center? I think developmental is doing great, man. I really do because they have a great system going. They're going to different cities. They're going to different places. Uh, yeah, they've they have really made their mark. I, I'm very happy for everybody at the Performance Center and NXT. Um, yeah, I, I, you can't deny success, and, and they've done a great job. So. The the only if if there's only one element I think is missing, but at the same time it's it, it's kind of a, uh, a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're not getting the same grit and grime as it used to be, but that's okay. They're getting a different grit and grime to the business because the business isn't as gritty and grimy as it used to be. So it has to be a little more sanitary. I get that. But some of that stuff uh, that you got just from having to travel halfway across town to go to the gym, you know, having to, to, to make sure that you, you got what you needed to do and not just have it laid out for you made, made a little bit different mark on your, your your character and scar on your soul, if you will, whatever, just doing things for yourself. But I think it's great that the Performance Center lays it all out, and that's all they have to do. So if they can't learn there and they can't snap to what's going on in Orlando, 
then they can't stifle what's going on because that's the way the business is done these days. I think it's great. They have everything at their fingertips, and that's that's a good thing. They're, they're traveling not just in the south, but they're going to the north and going to these different places. They're doing a great job. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with it. And I'm sure that's going to be a highly, highly discussed topic this coming October 21st at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey. As, like we've said at the top of this show, Dr. Tom will be joining Captain's Corner as well as the Young Stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma, the Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony, and also Eric Embry and Eric Watts will also be joining this crew as well. But, Dr. Tom, before we wrap it up, please give the fans one last pitch to come out to Legends of the Ring and what they can look forward to sharing an afternoon with you and a bunch of your cohorts talking a little old-school wrestling. Well, I know uh, that I personally enjoy talking to everybody who comes over and uh, shares their memories with me, and I know that uh, the Dirty White Boy, and if Eric Embry's there, I haven't seen him in years, man. We were uh, together in Memphis for years as well. Uh, come over and just share some of your memories with us, and, and uh, we'll sign whatever you got. I'll sign whatever you got. You got. How about that? And uh, I always look forward to hearing from uh, not just the fans, but the guys I haven't seen in a long time. Man, it's a, it's a great vibe. It's a great atmosphere, and uh, you're going to see a lot of people who haven't been around in, in a while. So come on out to Monroe, New Jersey, October 21st, man. I can't wait. Yeah, and you can go to Facebook.com and search Captain's Corner, and the Captain's Corner event ticket page is freewebstore.org slash captains-corner. Again, freewebstore.org slash captains-corner. It's going to be one hell of a day, but Dr. Tom, before we let you go, please share with the listeners where they can find anything and everything going on in the world of the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Well, I am on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. There is no T in my name, and I'm noticing on this website it has a T in my name, but we'll get rid of that. So it's Dr. Tom Pritchard uh, on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, too, uh, Tom Pritchard. Just check me out. And, um, you know, that's that's really about it. I mean, uh, I'll write something now and then. I just haven't wrote anything in a long time. So, And I'll do some podcasts here, here and there. Be listening. Check it out. Awesome. Well, Dr. Tom, it was an absolutely uh, wonderful return for you to come back to us after two-plus years. So the pleasure was all ours, and uh, hopefully we don't have to wait another two-plus years to kind of shoot the breeze again. But we will see you at Legends of the Ring on October 21st. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.